0: Welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm joined by Tom Cronin. So Tom is joining from Sydney, Australia, and Tom spent 26 years as one of Sydney's top bond and swap brokers. And throughout that time, he found meditation and mindfulness to be transformational in relieving the chaos and anxiety that he experienced in his life and work. And that led him to creating the Stillness Project in 2013, which is a global movement to inspire people to meditate daily. And since then, he's been changing the lives of countless individuals through teaching, transformational leadership, meditation retreats, keynote talks, and most recently, the Portal Film Experience, which explores overcoming chaos, anxiety, PTSD, and crisis in our lives. So welcome, Tom. What a joy to have you here.
1: That's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. Looking forward to today's session.
0: Me too. So I wanted to start by talking about the Stillness Project. Can you explain a bit about what this is?
1: You know, I, I found meditation to play such an important part in changing not just me to be a better person, but certainly um, the, the ripple effect that that had on, you know, not just the people in my life, but life around me in general. And so I started to teach people to meditate because I I, I was so affected by it. I just really felt that I had to become a teacher and I started to teach people. And then I started to see the same thing happening to them. And that it was this really interesting phenomenon that people's lives were changing, not because they were getting more things or having better experiences as far as, you know, going to the zoo or watching Netflix or something, but because they were sitting in stillness and i realized then that if i really wanted to make an impact in the world the first step for making an impact in people's lives was to introduce them to this this process of sitting in stillness in meditation and from there the the the, the benefits and the side effects uh, you know the the positives would flow from that and so then we set out to create the stillness project with a mission to inspire a billion people to meditate daily and, and realize that it that could be achieved, and we'd start to see huge effects of positivity ripple across the world.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful! And one of the things I love that you talk about is that you started to see the changes not only in how you were um, interacting with people, but you were seeing that ripple in in how life was presenting to you. Was how I under, how I understood what you were saying, which is a really beautiful way. To um, to look at it because we are we're affecting the way that we experience life, not only how we interact with the people that we encounter, but how we actually experience life. Just yeah, you know, we're looking
1: at life through a a lens. You know, we're looking at at life through it's like a pair of sunglasses that have different shades on them, and those shades are determined by the experiences that we've had in our life. You know, the cultural conditioning, the social conditioning. Um, you know, our genetics and that creates a t- type of veneer that we see things through and we think it's, it's truth but it's actually subjective truth, not absolute truth. And absolute truth is when that veneer is just ripped away or slowly starts to fade away over time. And this is one of the beautiful things about um, stillness and meditation is that it helps melt away or pull back the veil so that we start seeing life not through our code and conditioning, and our doubts and fears and phobias, but through uh, through an absolute level, uh, like it's clear glass, you know, that there's no impediment to what we're seeing. And what we start to see is just beauty and, and yeah, absolute fundamental present reality that's not distorted by other, um, you know, influencing factors.
0: That's beautiful. And, it, I mean, it's really the embodiment of non-judgment. I mean, when you're really taking away that veneer and you're you're looking you're just looking at what is you're not putting a story around what it means or how you're supposed to feel about it or whatever it's just seeing it without judgment and um and that purity that is so fundamental that's really beautiful
1: yeah absolutely you know it's it's an unfiltered process that in the in each single moment there's absolute truth and it's it's so pristine and pure and simple uh and then what happens is when we we have this conditioned self that starts to uh get entangled in these experiences then it starts to distort through our own subjective experience and so meditation really helps us to to clear all of that out so that we're a lot more free in each moment there's beautiful freedom that happens there
0: yeah i love it and with this inspiring one billion people to meditate, is it always at an individual level that you're wanting pe- wanting to um, inspire people? Or do you work on like group meditations where you're trying to get like masses of people to meditate at the same time? Because there's such fascinating studies around groups of meditators who are affecting positive change. I don't know if you if you dip into any of that with this work.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, there's definitely some amazing results coming out of these big, powerful group meditations. For me personally, um, it's twofold. One is inspiration and then action. So inspiration is the tools of my social media that I, I put content out there. Um, you know, I've got a film out, I've got a book out. So they're, they're mediums to inspire people to do something. That's to go and meditate and that's the action part. So then how do we support and facilitate people learning to meditate and I do it through a number of mediums one is through weekend workshops in person and that's that individual let's meditate I'm going to teach you how to do it now Um, and I do it in sort of smallish groups or individually and then there's an online program that allows people to learn to learn to do this deep meditation in a self-paced way Uh, and it's a 21-day meditation program as far as coordinating large groups, you know, I do corporate trainings. I'm working with Amazon and Coca-Cola and UBS and people like that um, where I'll teach, you know, large staff members how to meditate. And as far as coordinating like a big global meditation, I did delve into that once. It's a lot of work. I'd rather just teach people how to meditate. And just by the fact that they're meditating regularly on a daily basis, that's enough, I think.
0: Yes, I agree. Because you always have that, the the ripple, like you talked yeah. about how um, with each person, there's a beautiful rippling that happens so i'm curious just about your background you know you you had this start in finance it sounds like and um and then you know it's it's quite a change really to you know and i i have that reflected in my life as well i worked for i b m for a number of years i have an i t background um you know and now i'm I'm not doing any of that not doing any any sort of corporate work or anything but what drew you to meditation in the first place?
1: Yeah I sort of look at my life in three stages there was pre going into finance which was my my childhood and I had a very beautiful childhood on a farm and I had a very strong Catholic influence and upbringing and I think that was kind of like the early stages of me I had a very strong sense of God you know I Mm. Um, I wouldn't say I loved going to mass, but I definitely had a strong relationship with this presence of a force and intelligence. Um, You know, back then it was wrapped in a religion and there was a lot of prayer and the rosary and, um, you know, church. But I think that was the early stages of me connecting to something um, beyond this sort of physical world of form and phenomenon. And then I went into finance and that was kind of by default I was supposed to do journalism at university and then go and become a writer for, you know, magazines and things writing about existential risks to humanity and you know capitalistic greed and then I just filled in some paper uh, ads for jobs because I needed some money before uni started and I ended up getting one on a trading room floor and that was like this sort of 26 year diversion it was just kind of quite wild that that happened it took me down a path you know in the early years of that career it was just so exciting you know just so much money and partying and You know, we had free access to corporate Amex cards where we could take clients out to wine bars, nightclubs, restaurants, you know, some of the most incredible things. And it was like, you know, these big flashing lights just pulled me in. And that was like a big detour. And interestingly, the universe is really awesome at trying to realign us. Mm. And whenever we have pain and discomfort, it's a great device that natural law or universal intelligence has to give us an impetus to move. To change, to, to deviate. And I, I'm, I'm quite a resilient, if not stubborn person being Scorpio. And mm-hmm. so I put up with a lot of pain, you know, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of insomnia, a lot of panic attacks um, down that pathway as a broker doing lots of drugs and drinking and crazy things. And the universe was doing a, its really best job it could possibly do to Bring me back into orbit and get me to wake up and realign to what I'm actually here to do, the way I'm supposed to live my life. But I was so stubborn and resistant. So, what the universe does is that it just turns up the volume, you know? And I was kind of like getting to nine and 10 on the volume dial (laughs) because it's almost going to 11. Uh, And it was in terms
0: of like panic or that Yeah, panic, depression, those were the cues that were. yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: Anytime we have that, it's just a mechanism within us to guide ourselves into a new path, to wake up, to move, to change. Mm-hmm. And I was ignoring that. So uh, eventually it got so severe, I had literally a nervous breakdown at the age of 29. Wow. Uh, and that's in that time, the universe just said, that's enough. Like we're going to make this a, almost like a choiceless op- a position. And we call this in Sanskrit a Rashi. And a Rashi is a, a point of choicelessness where you can't continue doing the same thing. There's a fork in the road and a fork in the road means that something must deviate here and it either breaks down or breaks through. These are the only two options when we arrive at a RASHI point. So a relationship gets in a RASHI and the point is divorce or breakthrough. A company gets in a RASHI, it's either scale up or scale down and go into bankruptcy. And, you know, our health, our civilization, you know, we get RASHIs all the time and, for me, that was my major rash. It was like, I was literally considering whether I wanted to go on with my life. I was questioning Mm. the the continuance of this existence as Tom. And then I came across meditation. One day while I was at home watching TV, I couldn't go to work. I'd I'd left my job. I I was unable to continue on as a broker for a period of time. I had some mental health leave. And I found this documentary that I was watching on TV about a, a property developer that was meditating. And it was like, Everything I'd been waiting for in my life was was in this. It was what I'd found in meditation. And that was the catalyst, just seeing that guy meditating in that documentary in a suit, in a chair. Mm -hmm. It was just like, it was almost like the universe put it there for me to see it because if it was a monk in robes, I would have just gone straight past my, my gaze. I wouldn't have been able to resonate with it. But this guy was a property developer and he was wearing a suit, and I still distinctly remember the suit. It was like a blue pinstripe suit. This was 26 years ago, and wow. he was sitting in a chair in his big room, uh. and he just sat so peacefully with his eyes closed in a, in, in a chair meditating. And it was just like, and I didn't know anyone that meditated. Meditation was very unheard of back then. It was in the mid-'90s, and, you know, there wasn't car maps and Headspace and, you know, online programs. And so it was a real big sort of like epiphany that said, go and explore this and that was the start of my journey into eastern philosophy meditation.
0: Oh wow, thank you for sharing that. That's mm. It is funny how you can you can remember that moment, you know, you remember it so crystal clearly and um and that resonates with me a lot because I have been drawn to meditation I was drawn to meditation for so long before I really even understood what it was but if i heard somebody talking about it or if i saw it in a headline i would read the article i would want to know i would want to know if i'm talking to somebody like well what do you do because i had tried it i had understood that it was you just st- sit still and you clear your mind and it sounded super easy and i was and then i couldn't really get anywhere with it and i'm like i feel like this is the key to something like, i really feel like it's important but I don't know why I can't do it, you know? So I would love to talk to people who, like, if I ever found, I didn't find a lot of people where it would come up in conversation, but when I did, I was like, tell me everything, and they're like, I don't know, I just sit there, <laughs> you know, and I try not to think, and I'm like, yeah, I've tried that, <laughs> you know? But I I always felt so drawn to it, and now it's such a big part of my life, But and I, I look back at that with that same, like, mystery of like there was always something there for me and there were time and time again where I got interested in it and then I got distracted and I you know and the universe just kept bringing it back to me you know so it's really amazing yeah,
1: it's it's good at guiding us isn't it
0: yes absolutely so let's talk about the film the portal and it's a book as well right
1: yeah, we pulled the book out of the film, so the film um, was what we started with, and then from the interviews of the the film, we extracted the stories and and the, and the knowledge into a book.
0: Oh, beautiful! So, how how did the film come about?
1: Well, I think you know, I, I started the Stillness Project with this great vision to I could see so many of the world's problems with the fact that we we're just caught in this we call it Kali Yuga in Sanskrit, this age of ignorance of ignoring the inner world, the inner space. And we think, and we're so coded to think this way, that our fulfillment lies in the outer space. So in the shopping malls, in the Bitcoin portfolio, in getting ice cream, in watching movies, in finding someone that's going to say they love you. So um, I could see how much suffering that was causing the planet and how much ripple effect of suffering that was causing as far as environmental and all sorts of things. And that uh, if I could just inspire people to meditate, then that would start to change that paradigm a little bit. And and I realized that after The Secret, they managed to make such an esoteric subject, the law of attraction. It's it's so normal for us to think of the law of attraction, but back then it was a very unknown sort of concept. And they managed to penetrate the households of the world with that. It was phenomenal with a film and a book. And so Mm -hmm. I was really inspired to use that medium as a device for Um, conveying the message and and we call it inspiration to inspire people into action Mm. and so that started this journey of making a film and a book and some amazing investors that supported us with that project and and we've traveled the world finding stories that we we, what we wanted to do is not interview a buddhist monk that's left home at the age of eight and sat in a monastery meditating because we wanted it to be relatable to people And we found six very diverse stories from very different backgrounds and all had gone through a very difficult time, a crisis. So we wanted to overlay it onto a global crisis sort of macro perspective so that each individual story relates in some way to our potential global crises that we're all looking at. And therefore, we have the macro and the micro perspective of crisis and how we can move through that by the simple art of stillness.
0: Mm, Wow, that's beautiful. And so, who who is the movie the 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 film experience in the book? Who are who is your, the target audience? Is it some people who want to start meditating, those who already have developed a practice, or both, or everybody?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it'd be great for everybody, but it, it, we definitely see that there's sort of three rings to the to the audience: the inner choir, we call it the inner choir, which are people that are already meditating. So it's kind of they already resonate with it and they really get it. It's like they watch it and go, it kind of validates what they're doing and it's a kind of thumbs up that what they're doing is 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 relevant and worthwhile. And then we've got the sort of next ring, which are people that might be sort of touching into just delving into yoga and starting to explore meditation. They might be on some apps and um, it's a kind of a nice momentum build for them to continue to inspire them to keep going back to their practice or maybe ramp up their practice doesn't sound very meditative but to ramp up your practice, but to sort of <laughs> continue on and, and enhance your practice or refine your practice. And then uh, ideally down the track, you know, we're hoping those people and start to share it with their friends and family. And then people that, like I guess I was, you know, I never was open to meditation, but it wasn't until I saw that guy meditating in that chair that I thought well, maybe I should try that. So people that are out there that are stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, and we've got a very challenging time on the planet and it's about to get a whole lot more intense going forward in the next 12 months. And so, you know, finding uh, some sanctuary and some respite and some capability to not be so entangled and emotionally charged by life's circumstances, but to find some sovereignty through all of that is, is the, uh, the audience that we'd really like to tap into.
0: Mm. Yes, beautiful. I think people want to know what you think, what you see happening in the next 12 months.
1: Mm. <laughs> I'll be very delicate here then. Yes. Um, look, we're seeing an incredible paradigm shift taking place. And in Sanskrit, um, they refer to these two periods of time, one that we're in and one that we're moving into in the, the language of Kali Yuga and Sat Yuga. Mm-hmm. So Kali is the age of ignorance and Sat is the age of wisdom. Yuga is a period of time, like an epoch or an aeon, and uh you know, we, we've been in Kali Yuga, the age of ignorance. That is that we, we look externally for, for identity. We look externally for fulfillment. We look externally for pleasure. And therefore, in, in that process, we ignore where it ultimately lies, which is within us in a deep... And it sounds cheesy and corny. Happiness lies within, but it actually does lie within in, at, a, at a deeper level of silence and um, stillness. Wisdom is is the undeniable non-subjective absolute truth which is just these fundamental truths of wisdom we don't get them in books we don't get them on podcasts we don't get them from gurus we they they are guideposts for what we already know because we are already it we are already the absolute we are already enlightened we are already divinity we are already source and we've just been ignoring that aspect of who we are and we're moving into a period of time where, we've, where we discovered that. And it's a very different period of time that's going to be prevailing on the planet. There's new terminology starting to open up around this where a number of, even one of the people in my film, Daniel Schmackenberger and a few other people refer to this as game A and game B. So we're currently in game A and we're moving into game B. Game A is a very win-lose game. It's a finite game. It's a self-terminating game. It's an unsustainable game. And we're looking at the extreme uncertainty and unsustainability of the current model that we're playing in, which is the game A model. Um, It's just a commoditization of things so that we can acquire. Mm -hmm. And what game B is, is a very different model. It's not built on uh, fulfilment from acquisition or experiences. It's from an inner inner experience. But to get across to game B, a lot of the systems that hold up game A have to fall down and have have to become irrelevant. And we're starting to see this crumbling of, um, of, of relevance of old systems. So we'll see a lot of the old systems and the old status quo start to crumble. Now, in the crumbling, think of it like a renovation. If I want to, let, let's say, rebuild a beautiful new home with new systems that are much more relevant uh, on a site where there was an old home, I have to dismantle the old home first. Now, in the middle of dismantling that old home, it's pretty rupturous, it's challenging, it's intense. There's actually a period of time where there is no home. It's like, oh, my goodness. Chaos. like What have you done? It's yeah. chaos, right? And so we're in this unraveling uh, of a new experience and a new way forward. But it, it is going to be a little bit chaotic. And the people that are going to hold on to the old status quo, which we're seeing right now, Let's not look at sovereignty and health. Let's not look at how we can empower ourselves individually. Let's not look at how we can question narratives and maybe start to discern a little bit more about what's, what's absolute truth rather than conditioned and programmed truth by, you know, very powerful people that have a lot to gain out of that. And so we're seeing this sort of incredible, interesting sort of play unravel here where the questioning starts first. And then the challenging starts second, and then the unraveling starts third, and then the rebuilding starts fourth, and then the new establishment starts and start, comes in after that so it's a sequential process, and it's important that we, we it's important that we we don't feel disheartened when you're in a renovation you, you're excited about the possibility because you know what's there, you know what's coming, and you're very excited about that beyond this challenging, chaotic experience of dismantling the old home, there's something truly beautiful that's going to prevail. And that's really important that humanity can see that, and that's a big part of what I want to get across, is that Satyukha is a very profound period of time that was really just contained for a very small handful of people over thousands of years on the planet and now about to make it mainstream.
0: It's incredible, and it's so exciting. I mean, this is a really exciting time to be alive to be here on this planet, and um, and one thing that you know, amongst all this chaos, for those of us who are here, <laughs> you know, for those of us who who are listening, who are who are here, embodied on the planet at this time, there's a reason that you're here, you know, and and it's to witness this. It's to be a part of it. To be more than a witness, but to embody this. Um, and so it's a really important, um, point that you're making. And, and I hope that, um, that that point has been driven home about the excite the, um, the, the chaos and the, the dismantling, the disillusion that happens, but the, but what emerges from it, you know, as we get caught up in it, it can be confusing and frightening, um, but it's important for us to keep hearing about, you know, what is coming and, and, uh, and hold that vision within each of us. And one of the things that I wanted to clarify or give you the opportunity to clarify would be around, um, you know, this happening within and without, You know, so I think a lot of people who are listening have gone through some sort of awakening at, you know, at some level. That's why they would be drawn to listening to the meditation conversation. Um, And so I think a lot of people can relate to what you're talking about at the personal level. Do you also see this happening without, you know, outside of the individual within like the structures and organizations that we have in place? I mean, you talk about the status quo, but I think you can look at it from both ways.
1: It's it's not it's impossible for it to not over time. And that's only because the systems and the structures that uphold the world in a game A world are only established by the state of consciousness of the people that built it. So if we can individually uh, hold space and embody, it's not just about the vision, but it's about the embodiment of mm-hmm. that what we want to see in game B or the Satyuga. So individually those that have, because th- don't get me wrong, I sometimes get like, oh, my God, this is, this is too hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, no, I, I get overwhelmed as well, you know. And then I have to remind myself if if I want to represent and see game B or Satyuga, then I have to live and breathe it and then I have to be part of the multiplication, the proliferation the collaboration, the congregation, the communication with the masses for that to happen because it can only happen one by one, each person living and breathing what that new period of time looks like and then manifesting and expressing and creating from that state of consciousness. So over time we will see, and we're already seeing it now, more and more conscious people creating and designing systems. I've got some friends of mine that are designing new economic models for the planet. Um, So that when Sat comes, there is an economic blueprint because you think about even just one system, let's just call it, we've got the medical, the political, the education, the sporting, the finance. But look at the economic or finance model, then at the moment we, in a game B, sorry, in a game A world, we only value things that we commoditize. Mm. But we don't value things that we can't commoditize. So we can't commoditize the ocean, but we can commoditize fish or whales in the ocean. We can't commoditize bees, but we can commoditize honey. We can't commoditize trees, but we can commoditize 4 by 2 And because of that, then the consequences of that type of economic model is so unsustainable and so destructive that it will self-terminate our entire species. But if you build a new economic model that somehow, and it's very complex because how do you value a tree? How do you value air? How do you value an ocean in an economic model? And that's a whole new redesign. And that's something that has to happen. And I've got friends that are designing these models, but we don't have enough consciousness yet to integrate that model into our current world because mm-hmm. we're still in game A and we haven't got across to game B yet.
0: I'm so encouraged to hear you saying that because I just had a conversation last week with somebody who is, you know, in, in finance as well. And and he was talking about this, but he was talking about it in a very destructive way. So he was talking about the commoditization. I probably didn't say that right, but... You guys that's know good. what I mean <laughs> of forests, and i was I thought he was talking about oh people wanting to preserve forests, and so they're like making it they're helping there be a way for people to invest in a forest you know and and protect it and that's kind of where I immediately went. He's like no it's it's like buying you can like purchase it and then you get the value of. Like, however much you've purchased, you get the value of what they make on it for the wood so that they destroy it and then, you know, renew it, hopefully. But, you know, that takes time. But it was this whole thing of destroying the forest and and being a part of that, and then having more people having access to investing in the destruction of it. And I was like, oh, that's not what I thought we were talking about. That's not as encouraging <laughs> as <laughs> I that's not- Well,
1: that's this game, eh? That's cause currently happening. I mean, that just yeah. only last week I think they announced that the Amazon now is a greater contributor to the planet of CO2, than it is a, a, an absorber of CO2 because the the fires and the cutting down of it. So we've gone from the biggest lungs of the planet to provide us with oxygen to breathe, now a big producer of carbon dioxide and not having the capacity to absorb the, the oxygen. That's mm-hmm. just like, you know, it's just like being in a room with one little air hole left for free oxygen and then someone plugging that up. <laughs> it's just yes. like that's just, not a, that's just not a smart move.
0: Right. But
1: that's because of the commoditization of what that forest can do as opposed to what... Um, and that's because our, economic, our global economic model doesn't value the oxygen that those trees in the Amazon produce. And so therefore, the leaders of that country go, well, we're just about economics here because that might be good for you to get that oxygen, and it's good for us, of course, as well, but it's of much greater value for us to chop down that rainforest. Right. And so we'll take the highest price we can get and that's what our whole economic system is built on right now,
0: right well, this person was even talking about like the carbon offsetting um that a lot of is that's happening in Europe a lot of them you know like airlines and things like that are offsetting carbon by um but they're they're doing it in their country or in their continent, but then they're um, you know going they're destructing forests in in america in north carolina in other in other countries certainly in other countries but he was from that area so he was talking about that but um which is is so interesting because that also gets into the you know if you want to back a corporation because you like that they're working on carbon offsetting you know and and so on. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, they're, they're gaming the system, you know. It's like I can't – I don't even know what to believe anymore.
1: <laughs> this has been gamified for a long time. I you know, know, you just think about the simple thing. Like if you look at any city, right, look at any city and look at any park and any tree-lined street in the city, why don't they, instead of planting trees that don't produce fruit, plant trees that do produce fruit? Um, because if they did that and fruit was available, where just imagine homeless people, anyone could just go and pick it, right, and, and start living off some of those – then that would break down the commoditization for the people that are producing those things and selling them, right? Oh, right. But that's just one simple, reason, one simple model of how we've gamified or commoditized what could just be a simple solution. Why don't we just plant more trees that provide for us?
0: Yeah, <laughs> right.
1: In public places, right? And so everyone just, oh, wow, I feel like an apple, right?
0: Yeah, wow. Well, bless those contacts of yours who are working on that blueprint and i hope that it is much sooner than later that we will begin being ready to implement something like that
1: yeah that's right because it's important we we got to acknowledge that it's it's less about what they're doing which is great don't get me wrong it's more about they can't implement that until we have enough consciousness that experiences experiences a sense of unification mm-hmm. and this is why meditation's critical because you know we did a screening for our film at davos at the world economic forum and I had some meetings with some very high profile people that were doing some really awesome things in the world i said the challenge you have is that you're trying to do good things in a world where people don't feel connected mm-hmm. because they can't they're stuck in their ego self and their ego self is only motivated by its own personal needs as part of the ego but if we start to in- a meditation practice where we start to experience, and this is experiential, where we start to transcend the individual ego self and experience more of a unified self, the higher self with a capital S. Then by default, our actions are more motivated by the extension of our wider self, which is the interconnectedness of humans and planet. Then we start to make decisions that are taking all of that into consideration and the things that we design and create are going to come from that state of consciousness of experientiality of unity. And so it can really only happen when we are starting to have that transcendent experience into the field.
0: Right. Yes, I love that. And it it kind of comes um, it it comes down as well to this kind of meditation bleeding into life. And you talked about this as the the rippling that happens. You know, it um, meditation when you begin it it sort of starts as like, oh, I've got my meditation time and then I've got the rest of my lifetime, you know, and then there just comes a point where the non-meditation time starts to be influenced by the meditation practice. And you do start to see more of this mystery that's underlying everything in this unification, this unity. Um, And I'm curious in your own practice, do you remember when those things kind of started, when it started becoming less about maybe technique or, um, you know, how many minutes you're seated for and things like that? And when it started to really bleed into your life, do you have a memory of, of a, when that sort of shift started to come?
1: Yeah, look, it's it's such a gradual thing. Um, it's 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 like a dimmer switch you know a a light switch can have on and off where there's light or there's no light Mm -hmm. but it's not like that it's like there's a dimmer and the 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 ability for the light to be there is always there and it's a matter of just gradually 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 turning it up and it happens so slowly and so gradually that you kind of almost don't realize it's happening Mm. and um you know, sometimes it can be quite extreme, like when I run retreats and someone has never meditated before, they do six days with me and it's just like, oh, holy moly. Um, but for, for me, you know, for, for the most part, it was such a gradual transition, you know, for 26 years of sitting in, in the technique and slowly noticing, as you said so beautifully, that what happens in the meditation starts to integrate and become part of your external experience. And um, I love this Sanskrit quote, Uru kamani." which is established in being, perform action. And it's this gentle, gradual stabilisation of being, which is light and love um, and consciousness itself, starting to infuse into your action and experiences outside of the meditation. But that can only happen through the regular contact into being that happens with firstly two things, regularity with meditation but secondly a particular style of meditation or particular styles of meditation that allow that transcendent experience and so it's important that we don't get sidetracked by and this is not to denigrate any practices anything that's helping us sit and be quiet is really important and really useful but um, it's easy to get swept along by I was seeing one app they have 100,000 meditations on it wow. and it's just this 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 overwhelming almost analysis paralysis of where do I go? What do I choose? And there's so much noise around meditation. There are a lot of the meditations I'm seeing out there about how to meditate to manifest money, how to meditate to find a lover, how to meditate to get a new puppy dog. And it's kind of self-perpetuating the problem that we've already got as the seeker that's trying to get something going into the meditation practice. So the practices that I I work with and uh, that I've used and teach are practices that the seeker doesn't even exist. The seeker is the problem in all areas of life, even in our spiritual practice, because it's the seeker that's still clamoring to get something that you already are. If we just let go of the seeker, then we'll discover that that's already there, that experience is already within us.
0: Mm. I love that. And it's so true. You know, there is... Um it, it can be tricky. It can be subtle. It can be so subtle and it can be so sneaky, you know, <laughs> where it's like, wait, all of a sudden, you know, this thing that used to really bother me, this person that used to really bother me, or whatever it is, you know, I'm not reacting the same way that I used to, or doesn't or I'm I've softened to it, or I understand different perspectives more easily and, and I have value for other people's perspectives, even when they're not mine. or um, So, yeah, a lot of that, it, it might not be like a, a big bang right away. Um, it can be sneaky like that, which is important that we stick with it, you know, so that it's not um, like, oh, I didn't see any light. I meditated twice and I didn't see any light. This thing, this doesn't work. (laughs) It's like how I kept approaching it when (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing.
1: (laughs) Where's my church bells and turtle doves? I didn't have that experience.
0: Right. Yes. (laughs) And it's it's
1: less about what we're getting. It's about what we're not having. That's what really is one of the key things with meditation. It's, it's about, Oh, I don't have anxiety anymore. I don't have, that aching addiction to crave someone's affirmations to say I'm a good person or I don't, um, I'm just, it's just, it becomes simpler and quieter.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's what we're not having. Yeah. So when I, when I look through, um, you know, your offerings, for example, um, it seems it seems clear to me that you know you're you're helping people to find peace and calmness and reduce stress um, and i I love these fruits of meditation um and like you say, there are a lot of different styles of meditation. There are a lot of reasons that people come to meditation they may be drawn to it because they really have to reduce their stress, or they want to connect with themselves better, or they want personal development, or to enrich their spirituality. Um, and I wonder, you know, as we talk about the subtleties, and the, um, the sneakiness of it, you know, often when you're coming to meditation, like I approached meditation from a pretty secular perspective, when I first started, it was like, I, you know, I wasn't really praying before I started, I wasn't, Really trying to connect with anything higher, it was really just like I wanted to experience like stillness within myself and it was very much focused on peace and calmness and trying to be a better version of myself um I'm, and I've heard you talking and how you 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 know clearly have studied a lot of the Yogic teachings or or Buddhist, I don't know. You mentioned Sanskrit and the Kali Yuga, and I, I associate that with the yogic teachings. Um, so, from your own perspective, is it seems that there is like a richness of that spiritual element as well? Would you say? It, it, it
1: really, it's like um, you know, if I want to become a a doctor. Uh, and I mean, kindergarten, then I have to go through a sequential process year mm-hmm. after year. And there's, you know, I, I don't know what you call them in, in America, different. Acts. We call it primary school, then we've got high school, then we've got university. You can't just at, you know, the age of six become a doctor. You have to go through a sequential process. In Sanskrit, we call this upasan khand, which is the timeline, sequential layer of truth, of, of time, of, 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 uh, of, the unfolding of evolution. And so students can start with, like it was for me, I have a pain point, I have insomnia, I have depression, I have anxiety, I need to learn to meditate. I wasn't looking for enlightenment. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for spirituality. I just wanted my pains gone away so that I could be more successful. And that's okay. It doesn't matter where someone's starting. It's a matter of there's a there's a journey that you go on. And that's why I have different offerings for my students because A lot of people are coming in at different points in their journey. And if someone wants to start, and it's important we understand there's nothing wrong with using meditation for peak performance. You know, we want to have a great life. We want to have joy. We want to have wonderful things in it. You know, I've got an Audi A5. I like my car. It gets me around. So it's not that we don't appreciate form. Mm -hmm. It's what state we're in while we're appreciating form and, and how we use the form. And so, And by all means, it's important we understand. I'm not perfect or enlightened. It's just you know I'm just you know getting by in life and doing my thing. And there's a there's a sequence. So where I'm now is different to where I was 20 years ago with what what my meditation journey, my meditation practice is all about. So it will change for people as they go along and as they start to drop away a lot of the the pains and the, the anomalies that were guiding them in the first place to start to realize their truth, then they'll start having greater inquiry. And then the importance for me as the teacher is to offer them the opportunity to deepen that inquiry and give them more advanced programs.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I mean, I I do find it fascinating how it just does naturally evolve. And, and it almost um predictably although that's not the right word because it's such a everybody's got these unique paths i mean as you're as you're saying we all have unique pathways that get us to our higher self with the capital s you know and that get us to that unified consciousness and and um and we're meant to have unique journeys it's not meant to be like that The the exact path that I took is the same exact right path for the next person. There are techniques that we can share. There's wisdom. There's philosophy. Um, All of that is so helpful, but we all will approach it for different reasons and with different timelines, different results at different times, and there's a pattern to that evolution as well. Um, and it's so beautiful. It's so divine. It's just, it's just perfect, and it's so fun. I mean, that's kind of what, what makes it so interesting. I mean, going back to your film, the portal. You know, it's like six completely unique stories that all have this central theme about how important um, this evolving consciousness is for all of us as individuals and humankind. So
1: yeah, We call it lila in Sanskrit, the dance of the divine. Yes. This is the faithfulness of, of the divine manifesting through form. And, of course, if you look at any game, mm-hmm. whether it's Scrabble or Jigsaws or whether it's a gridiron game, uh, or football here, uh, there's going to be challenges in it. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be uh, difficulty. And so <laughs> that's the... The whole plague that we're in. And we'll, we'll one day, when we've lost our identity and we're in that divine essence of absolute truth, we'll look back and, and, and have a little grin on a non physical face and go, Well, that was fascinating, wasn't it? <laughs> right. Yes. It goes back. <laughs> and it to... all makes sense now. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. It does. It goes back to that. Um, it, yeah. It goes back to. To that and and let's hope that that is is uh sooner rather than later, and what a gift it is to be here, <laughs> you know what a gift this is to be experiencing all of this chaos and and um it's it's not boring
1: <laughs> it's not boring no, not boring <laughs> you it's, can't it's... phone
0: it in right now, you have to be <laughs> like in it
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it, and you know, it's it's it, we're here because this is the this is the the experience we choose to have right. as divine in manifestation. It, it's like let's see what life is like when I'm when I'm experiencing myself other than the divine, yes. and I'm lost in the identity of what I perceive to be me, which is of course still the divine, but I can't realize that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right the Maya head
1: around that sometimes the Maya exactly
0: yes so is there anything that you would like to offer as your favorite tip or a piece of advice for people to bring more peace into their lives
1: I think it'd just be more of a practical tip for because I'm sure pretty much your audience are meditators so it's not like hey guys you should meditate it's like, <laughs> you're already doing it it's
0: good to get the reminders if people aren't consistent yeah
1: Look, I think it's, it's about when we're in the practice. Um, one of the things that um, stumps a lot of students is the seeking and the trying and the grappling with trying to, because we're so egoically designed to get a, an experience, to have something, to get something, that it, it, it slips into our meditation practice as well. And it really is a complete letting go. Imagine your fist being clenched really tight, And that's what we're holding on to, our possessions, our identity, our ego, our body, everything. And then to let that all go, open your hand and unclench the holding on so that in your meditation to see how less of you can you be, how how available are you to be no body, no thing, no experience, no time, no story, no drama. Because that letting go, when we can really do that in our meditation practice... And I see some meditation students when I'm running classes and they've got this furrowed brow and I can see them trying so hard to get somewhere. It's just mm, like, just yeah. let it all go. Yeah. Even myself sometimes it's hard to say, let it go. Stop yeah. trying.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful. A great, great wise advice for sure. So how can people find out more about all of these beautiful offerings that you have?
1: Um, for daily sort of regular content, you can go to Instagram, Tom Cronin. Um, which is where I'm probably most active and then my website, Tom And then for the film they can go to, uh, they can still find it on my, on my website, Tom but but uh, they could go to enter the which is the film website, enter the portal and they can find the film, the book and the uh, meditation programs and how to become a partner with us and share the film with the world.
0: Wonderful. So I will be sure to have all those links um, in the show notes for everybody and, and uh, I encourage you all to go and, and check it all out. So thank you so much, Tom, for being here today, today, tonight. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> spanning all the times and no time. There is no time and space, right? So <laughs> Great
1: <laughs> to be here. Thanks for inviting me along.
0: Yes, it's been such a joy to connect with you. So thank you very much. And thank you for listening and tuning in. Be sure you check out Tom Cronin and uh, his film, The Portal, and all of his offerings. Again, I'll have those links in the show notes. And thank you for supporting the podcast with your subscribing and liking and reviewing and um, all of that. Very helpful activity. I very much appreciate it. And so I wish you a very beautiful day and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.